Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. A couple weeks off. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for bearing with us. Um, You know, it's... It's tough when you, with this season of Northwestern basketball, um, you know, to come back every single week and just talk about the exact same thing, losing a close game after horking up a lead or losing a close game after getting jobbed on a, on a bad officiating call or losing a close game after losing another close game. Um, so don't you know, drive angry, Sammy. I, I'm yeah. trying. Uh, sorry. <sighs> Take it's a breath. Funny, though. It's it's funny though I'll say this we we get so used to especially during football season and the summer and you know for all you who listen you kind of know that usually by the spring by the end of the spring between all of our various women's spring sports kicking ass and us heating up our summer previews and everything we're pretty much locked in there and we're solidly going once a week, every week, and then all through the summer and then into football season and everything. So much so that like when we take a week off, I really feel it. And I'm like, man, it feels like it's been forever since we were on and it's just been a week. But, uh, but it's, it's funny how much like you, you miss that one week. And there are certain, you know, certain notable bits of news and notes, but yeah, there are, you know, some things change, some things stay the same. Um, so we got some football news that we uh, should talk about. Uh, yesterday was signing day, uh, the official signing day, or I guess the, the regular signing day, although uh, Northwestern had pretty much the entire class signed, sealed, and delivered on early signing day. But uh, th- there, was, there was some news uh, coming out of uh, the football program as far as uh, a little, little bit of signing happening. Yeah, it's pretty I mean it's it's funny the I guess there was the whole Miguel Mitchell situation right where he did not sign his NLI on normal signing day and was like no I'm still very much committed to Northwestern but everyone was kind of like I mean it was just that feeling okay like Was that Miguel Mitchell other. or was that Rowan Brumbaugh? Yeah, oh, it's the same God. thing, right? It was just uh, yeah, memory lane. Yeah. The uh so we were all kind of just waiting for the other shoe to drop and it did and and Miguel Mitchell is a Florida Gator, but I think that happened in early to mid January. I don't think we talked about it at the time that he actually, you know, formally went to the Gators, but there was that scholarship open and uh yeah, we filled it with Jason Reynolds, who is it's it's so I'm I'm fascinated by this one for in two respects. One, his offer list is just so cool in in enough. I'll just never get tired seeing Northwestern sign guys who like are the most academically blue chip guys ever. Uh, Jason Reynolds' offer list is it's all three service academies: Harvard, Tulane, Colgate, and then Rice, where we know right the what's the story? He was actually like on his official at Rice, right when he got. Um, the, the call from Tim McGarrigal with the offer, right? Yeah, so. Lu- Louis Vicar over on Rivals wrote up a, a really cool little piece. Um, you know, exactly that. He was out at uh, out at Rice visiting, got a text from McGarrigal, said, hey, um, touch base when you have a sec. And that was him calling back and said, here's the offer. And like minutes later, it wasn't quite minutes later, but – very, very soon after he uh, he commits, and then on signing day he signs. 
Right. And so that's the whole piece of it. Like the story's cool. The kind of kid and the kind of student he is, that whole part is awesome. And then on the football part, this guy's another lean, fast linebacker that I really want us to play. Can he play? Can they all play? <laughs> I'm, I'm just like, I mean, I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole because Lord knows we've been done it, down it plenty of times over the past couple of months. But he's a rangy, lean linebacker. That's what he is. He's going to put on weight, but that's the kind of player he is right now. And Northwestern, over the past couple of recruiting classes, has stockpiled several of these guys that have the potential to be really exciting attacking players, especially in that 3-4 that, I mean, I guess I'll beat the drum even though it seems to be broken and not making a sound. But, you know, these are the kind of guys who theoretically can shine in a situation like that. So it, it's exciting. Yeah, it's it's a great pickup and, and a fun treat, you know, for a signing day that was otherwise decided. Also, I this happened since uh, we talked last, but Ryan Johnson. Uh, defensive lineman from Stanford uh, announced his transfer to Northwestern as a grad transfer. Um, real interesting. I mean, you look at his offer list out of high school, and holy shnikes. I mean, it's it's crazy, right? And it's it's fascinating that, at least in the kind of news cycle we're working with right now, that we can juxtapose Ryan Johnson and Jason Reynolds, right? Two different positions, but it's the whole thing where it's like, you know, a lot of people, maybe outside of the Northwestern world, because Northwestern has spun so much gold with recruits like Jason Reynolds, right? Anthony Walker just being one name to throw out, right? Um, but juxtaposing someone like Reynolds who, you know, people saying like, well, like, look at that offer list. There's, you know, you don't really have any. North Northwestern might be the only power five, right? Like what, what can it be like? Look, there's nothing. There's no certainties in anything. And Ryan Johnson being one of the big examples out of high school, this guy, I'd say, in terms of anyone who signed with Northwestern, the obvious parallel would be Garrett Dickerson. If Garrett Dickerson had stayed as a strong side defensive end and not switched over to super back. I mean, he's Johnson was rated as rivals at him as the number seven strong side defensive end in the country. Yeah, the offer list is ludicrous. Stanford, Alabama, Auburn, Clemson, Florida, LSU, Michigan, right? USC, Oklahoma, all of them, just all of them is it. They all offered. And then he went to Stanford and spent five years there and and played sparingly. Um, last year was his, his best year. Um, started four games, 16 tackles, five tackles for loss. Certainly, we all know the situation. Northwestern needs that depth. And he's helping provide that depth. And it's, it's fantastic. But it's a fascinating juxtaposition to be like, look, at the end of the day, you know, you, you don't really know. And, and we all try to gauge off of recruits and offers and everything. But nothing is written. Nothing is certain. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things that we often gauge is, you know, we kind of look at the size and shape and build of these guys. Johnson is 6'4", 280. I mean, he's built in the mold of a Dean Lowry, uh, a large right. defensive end. Um, certainly the type of guy that could play in, play in a 3-4 setting at that position. Um, you know, he doesn't have the the – the film or the track record or the tape to kind of, you know, really dig into how good is he, get, is he against the run. He doesn't seem like a rush specialist. So, um, so we'll have to see, but we, we know that Northwestern is in desperate need uh, in, 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 at that role. I mean, especially, you know, D linemen that can play first and second down um, t- 
tackle effectively, like it's it's critical. So this is uh, this is a welcome addition and a guy that comes with a lot of pedigree. So we'll see how it goes. I I might add. I just I love. So I guess he wore number eight at Stanford, um, and uh, he tweeted about this and and said something about eight ball corner pocket. I just kind of liked that uh, that little mo. Plus, fun. it's funny because if he picks up eight. I mean, I correct me if I'm wrong. I'm doing this right off the top of my head. I think eight was Tara Edwards' number, and Ta- who's you know. Oh yeah, moved, I think I think now right. moved on. So that that number is probably available if he wants to take it. But and and should you know, I don't want to sell him short. It should be noted. Yes, he was at Stanford for a long time. Last year was his most productive year. Yes, right? he started yes. four games for Stanford last year. He's not hurt. He played in all twelve played games. All 12, right. Yep. And, and 16 tackles. So, you know, we're we're getting a guy who's playing his best football right now. Yeah, so um, awesome news on that front. Uh, more awesome news from the NFL front as well. Um, oh, yeah. A couple Wildcats been, playing been, in the Super waiting. Bowl. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, Ernie, Ernie Brown and, uh, and Ben, ben Skronik, yeah. Um, or or, or, or uh, Ben Scourneck as uh, <laughs> Bill, Bill Simmons and um, – <laughs> Sal, oh, I know, yeah. uh, refer oh, to him several times on their podcast, which is if you, if you listen to, to to Bill Simmons um, at all, like he can't pronounce anyone's name right, but so, like right. it's it's almost a badge of honor that Skoranek got it's name funny. got pronounced right. incorrectly like five times uh, on that. It's podcast. hilarious too because it's a long name. It's also completely phonetically spelled <laughs> and easy to sound out. <laughs> it, it it's it sounds exactly how it looks, but. Yeah, it's and Ernest Brown, you know, I think we all saw him jubilantly celebrating at the end of the NFC Championship game on the sideline in plain clothes because I don't think he's on their their playoff roster. But Ben Skoranek's going to play in the Super Bowl, like play. He's going to be out on the field getting snaps at wide receiver in the Super Bowl. And, and that that's and, just and definitely wild. on special teams. I mean, he's oh, been, sure. he's like their number one gunner. Right, no, no, sh- sure. no shade to these Rams, but you know who else is going to play in the Super Bowl? Who's that? <laughs> Joey Effenborough. <laughs> <laughs> who day, baby? Let's go. Uh, oh, how, how is how is Cincinnati right now? Is it uh, oh, Cincinnati is so how, fired up, man? How, Scuzz, how are your Minnesota Vikings right now? <laughs> <laughs> who? What? Um, no, whatever. Not hiring Jim know. Harbaugh. That's for sure. Let's let's be clear. I've been, you know, I I. I, I made this decision last year when they drafted Burrow. Like I was not going to saddle any of my children with the Minnesota Vikings burden that I've carried for 20 plus years now. Um, I like he's, he's an incredible player and this team is a lot of fun. And I knew that was going to be ca- the case going into this year. And it's been, it's been awesome. I mean, like our whole neighborhood was going, was going bananas on uh on on sunday night myself included so um hey i'm gonna hey, I, i'm gonna ride the hometown team wagon like let's let's go love it hey and let's in, in interest of a of a solid pivot the one other thing joe burrow and your cincinnati bengals oh. did was free up the job market that's True right for, that's truth. right we've been waiting for this one yeah mike oh, kafka yeah. is now going to be the offensive coordinator for the new york giants um getting that promotion you know worked under andy reed uh, for several years, and now getting the call up, uh, he's going to be the he's going to be the guy in uh, in New York, and that's just really really awesome. I mean, we talked about this when when Northwestern was in the market after letting Mick McCall go, that there was no chance in hell 
Mike Kafka was going to come back to college because he was on the cusp of becoming an OC in the, in the NFL. He's, he's an offensive minded quarterback coaching potential play calling, uh, head coach candidate. This is, this is where the league is moving. That is it's, it's the Sean McVay, Zach Taylor, um, Brian Dayball. Like it is, it is the pathway that much of the NFL is going, um, is these, uh, these offensive minded guys that have coached QBs, uh, effectively. Um, I think I saw Eric B getting interviewed for the saints job, which is really great to hear as well for obvious reasons. Um, so this is, this is great for Kafka. We knew it was going to happen. Um, and if he performs well in New York, like it is very plausible that that uh, he's going to find himself amongst the head coach conversations in short order. Absolutely, and you know it's funny. Obviously, we're all everyone. I mean, all of, all of us in the Northwestern family are so familiar with his accolades at Northwestern, right, as a quarterback, and then you know his track in the NFL. I think one of the other things it's funny. Bill Barnwell was joking about this today because if you look at Mike Kafka's um, Twitter page, he actually has a crypto punk or a fake crypto punk, which everyone's going to roll their eyes at any distinction in terms of what's real and fake with a crypto punk. Well, we're talking about NFTs, non-fungible tokens right now. And anyway, Kafka has a picture of one of those as his picture for his Twitter feed. And Barnwell was just thinking it was hilarious that they moved on from Joe Judge to a new OC who's actually got a crypto punk as his Twitter profile picture. But what it kind of got me thinking about is it's you're right in terms of offensive minded coaches and everything, but also this specific subset that seems to be representing kind of where the NFL is moving right now in, in kind of a cool way is, yeah, Mike Kafka is a quarterback and he's a guy who performed, you know, in college at a really high level. And we're all really familiar with this. He's also a Northwestern graduate and a really smart guy. And I think in terms of these kind of forward thinking things and right, like the crypto is a piece of it and everything, but it's kind of like a a young mind, a really smart guy willing to kind of embrace and chase anything. And you can look at Mike McDaniel at at the 49ers, right, as just kind of the paradigm of this, right? A Yale graduate, didn't even play college football. Um, And just these guys where you look and you're like, damn, that's a smart guy. And Kafka is absolutely fits that mold, right? And I think you're going to get a lot of people who are being like, yeah, like you've got like a Yale mind as an OC now. You've got a Northwestern mind as an OC and being like, yeah, a lot of really brainy people taking the reins of some of these offenses. So it's really cool. And I'm really hoping that this is that, uh, you know, he's. He's got to work with Daniel Jones now, so we got that piece of it. But uh... well, I was going to say to quote uh, <laughs> to quote Shy Sox Janda on on Twitter, um, Mike Kafka, arguably the best QB in that QB room, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, hey, if they if they re-sign Clayton Thorson, then it's kind of up in the air. You know, his like Thorson. It's it's funny because um, at least as of this exact moment of time, not not you know. One like re- literally one week a Northwestern quarterback leaves that quarterback room, and the next week another Northwestern quarterback comes in. But Clayton's going to have a job in the NFL somewhere next year. It's just a question of whether it ends up back at the Giants or not. But it sure would be cool to have Mike Kafka calling plays for Clayton Thorson, um, even if it was just in the preseason or whatever. So here's hoping. But either way, it just it's awesome, awesome for Kafka. And let's see it. Let's see his star continue to rise. So, um, time to talk hoops. <laughs> let's let's do it. 
<laughs> you know, it, it's crazy. Like we're we're recording this coming off a win, but it's a uh, win not, that that oh, you know we talk about moral victories. I, that was a moral loss. I'm sorry. I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around this because they just won a game, and they're probably about to put a winning streak together. Like they're about to play garbage Nebraska, who's awful. And I know you're all being like, don't put the cart before the horse with this team. Like, I hear you. You're right. You're absolutely right. Nothing is written in stone with this Northwestern men's basketball team. It's just so weird because they're probably about to put a win streak together of at least two games. And yes, and yet, that was one of the worst. Like, I can't imagine a game we won being worse to watch. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was so brutal, and it was so brutal because we all felt it, like joked about it coming, worried about it coming, felt it the moment it started to come, and what, a 24-point lead evaporates. Rutgers gets two opportunities um, in the last, what, five seconds to shoot mm-hmm. a, to shoot a, a go-ahead basket, throws a ball out of bounds, and then is just short um, – on the other shot and oh god it, just, it i mean it was i it was groundhog day the night before groundhog day and it was painful and miserable and Pete Nance i don't think was on the floor for any of overtime it, there's just this weirdness about northwestern and and the players that are that are being played together on the floor i mean like the quit the, the, like this, this team doesn't quit the guys no I, just, I was gonna say like the players are playing their asses off and like they're just they are and this, they're trying to they can yeah now right. that doesn't mean they're not like like fallible and they make mistakes and like boo booey does some things that like just make you tear your hair out at times and like the clutch free throw shooting has been atrocious but um that doesn't mean that they're not trying really hard and working their asses off but i I subscribe very much to the to the mantra that Nick Medline has been just hammering for for months now, which is that Pete Nance and Ryan Young are the two best players on this team, and we won't. Collins literally will not play them together. It's 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 madness at this point because then like the few times that they do end up out there together, it kind of looks good, and then immediately we go away from it, and it's just mind boggling. It's the whole thing is so wild because. You look at, and this is the thing, like, it it really should be mentioned that what Collins does so well is he is the ultimate, like, rah-rah guy. And it's easy to be dismissive of something like that. But you look at, like, how many teams could endure the amount and type of losses Northwestern has endured this season and keep chugging along, right? Like, you look at the first half of the Rutgers game and be like, Imagine coming off that Michigan game and then that Illinois game, both of them ending the way that they did, and then just beat the brakes off of Rutgers in the first half. And Rutgers is what, like, they're, you know, they have a winning record in the Big Ten, I think. They're like 6-5 and five in the Big Ten. So, and, and they were just smoking them. And yet, it's like the coaching piece is the other piece, and it just doesn't seem like it's there. And... You just see these things evaporate, and in terms of, of course, everyone's looking back to the Penn State game, right? And then being like, oh my god, how could this happen? Or this is the kind of team that 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 just does this and blows these leads. And the thing is, it's self-reinforcing. 
we tweeted it in the moment. It's like the minute Rutgers goes on, like they're down 24, the minute they put like a five or six point run together, their coach is screaming, these guys will blow it if you get anywhere close. And they're just and they're just eating that up, right? So it's like Rutgers isn't stupid. Like they know that that's been the character of this Northwestern team. So I mean, that's going to fuel them once they get any kind of a run going. And and again, it's like it, it's that weird thing because Northwestern's about to prop. And again, I know I'm putting the cart before the horse. I can't stress how bad Nebraska is. They're 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 over in in conference play right now. Right. They're six and sixteen, oh for oh and eleven. They're and they're losing games by big margins. And I know this all sounds like a massive jinx. Northwestern is just a flat better team than Nebraska. It's just the way that it is. And then you're then after that you'd be looking at hosting a decent but not amazing uh Indiana team featuring Miller Cop at home, right? With the potential for a three game win streak, and Lord have mercy if that happened, you're playing Illinois again. So it's like, it's all so crazy because, I mean, it's like you want to be like, hey, great. At least they got a win and a chance to build some positive momentum. But Lord have mercy, that one. Oh. Yeah, it, I mean, it was, it was, it, it felt as, as much a, a, of a loss. At the, and at the same time, like, I'm so excited for the guys that they were, they were able to finish. Like, they finished a game. Like, whether it's, I think Colin said this in the post game, which is a little rich coming from him after the <laughs> season, but you know, one point or 20 points, it doesn't matter for the players. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter. They won. They can feel great about that. And they can come back um, this weekend and, and build on it. And I think like there's the decision-making and the, and the, 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 the lack of coaching adjustments and just kind of like the, I feel like the, the staff just feels out of their depth in the second half of games so often but one thing that has really changed in the last four games is uh, Chase Audija's shot selection. So, in you know against Maryland, Michigan State, and Wisconsin, he was taking 13, 15, and 17 shots in those games, um, and he was pretty hot in in two of those games. Purdue goes ice cold. Since the Purdue game. Adija's shot selection has been he's only, he's only taken somewhere between four and six shots a night. Um, that's playing close to 28 minutes. And he's been, I think he was one for four uh, in one of these games, but he's been uh, three of six in the others and has not like, he, he's not been like a quick trigger at high in the shot clock with nobody under the rim. Like he's playing more with him within himself and more within the offense, which is phenomenal because he's, arguably if not unequivocally the best defender on the team and having him out there is a huge boon for Northwestern. So um, that feels like some, some really effective coaching by the staff that has, has borne fruit. And if you can couple that with, um, you know, these guys having a bit more confidence and coming through more in the clutch. Uh, yeah. We might go on a little run here um, and, and hell, if they could figure out their offensive identity and run it through their bigs like they should, uh, it'd be even better. But I'm just not going to hold my breath on that because I don't think it's going to change. It's hilarious, this like duality from a macro perspective, too. Because right now there are only two teams ranked below Northwestern in the Big Ten in terms of conference record. Uh, but Northwestern has four games against those two teams left on the schedule. Two against Minnesota and two against Nebraska. And what's crazy is... Those games are all winnable. Northwestern could lose everything else and win those four games, 
and have seven Big Ten wins on the season, in terms of conference wins, that makes this the third best Chris Collins season ever. Which on one hand, it's like, it's that easy for this team, after all of that, to somehow get to the third best Chris Collins season ever. It also illustrates the fact that that would be the third best Chris Collins season <laughs> ever. So here we are. It's like, this is this is it. So, uh, but anyway, yeah. You, you mentioned that, that uh, Nebraska home game. Um, I, I, do we have... Do we have some news to to break on that, Scuzz? Yeah, let's 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 throw throw out the bat signal. So, um, I'm coming up to Chicago in late February. Uh, got a little bit of work trip planned. I am going to. Uh, I don't know if you guys are going to make it, but I am planning to go to that uh, to that that Nebraska men's game on February the 22nd. Uh, for any listeners, friends, fans who are out there that want to to meet up at that game or after that game, I would love to. Uh, to hang out with some, uh, some friendly Northwestern faces. Um, I, it's probably a little trickier to do that, uh, from a seating perspective at, at, uh, at the NU games, at the men's games versus the women's, but, um, I'm up, I'm up for the challenge. So, you know, reach out on social media. Um, but, but mark your calendars at the very least and, uh, come hell or high water. I'm, I'm, I'm planning to go to that game unless, unless nobody wants to go to, to a men's basketball game against Nebraska with me, and then I'll, then I'll probably pass. But then what we're, we're also planning to do uh, two days later on the 24th against Purdue uh, is a, a, an official watch party with the West Lab Pirates at, um, at the women's game. Um, hit us up. We will, we will get tickets in a block, and we will hang out and have a grand old time and watch uh, Veronica Bur- Burton and crew um, destroy Purdue. Yeah, no, definitely excited to to put this together. Um, you know, we did this a couple of years back um, when it was you know still okay to go to events with people. Um, but uh, yeah, th- this is going to be awesome. Um, you know, get us all together, uh, and anyone who can come by, you know, we'll be talking this up on on our social media as well. But uh, you know, kind of keep that in the back of your head. Keep an eye on our Twitter feed uh, for kind of more official information about our plan for the uh, women's game on the 24th uh, Northwestern versus Purdue, uh, an official Westlaw Pirates watch party at Welsh Shrine arena to watch the women, um, which I, I think makes a, a nice little pivot uh, to the women, um, you know, four game losing streak uh, as, as we record this, uh, right now, um, the game against Illinois this a uh, couple days ago uh, postponed due to COVID in the uh, Illinois program. Um, so we'll see if we can get that uh, rescheduled or not. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's we've only with our with our week off, we only missed one women's basketball game. But whoa, what, Nelly, what, a what a doozy! Game. What a doozy! <laughs> um, you know the the rematch: Burton versus Caitlin Clark. Who is? Oh my God, Caitlin Clark! Holy shnikes, she's unbelievable. You stop it though, because I'm sick of watching Veronica Burton versus Caitlin Clark, where all anyone talks about is Caitlin Clark. I I can't I can't I, get I mean, over I, that. I'm just giving credit where credit is due. She's fantastic. oh, I mean she's she's I mean she's gonna start in the WNBA for many years. There's no doubt. Yeah, but no, I mean Veronica Burton is is where it's at, and like she she dominated that first matchup against. Uh, against Iowa it's I mean it was it was an incredible game what was nuts about this game is these two teams have 
proven. I mean, I and I know I know Iowa's ranked. I know they have the better record. But when these two teams step on the court with each other, they are effectively even. And it's played out that way through two games. And the final nine minutes plus overtime of this the second of these two matchups, it was just even. It was the two teams traded buckets. I don't think they were more than within, you know, uh, five points of each other at any point during that stretch. It was crazy. And just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And, of course, we got to talk about the the ridiculousness that, that, that ended regulation. Yeah. So... So if you didn't get a chance to see it, um, you know, here's here's what what happened uh, to the best of what we're able to p- put together. Um, you know, coming down the stretch, you know, scores tied, seconds left. Uh, Jillian Brown gets the ball, feeds it out to Leah Hartman, who, who takes it the length of the court, scores what appears to be a game-winning layup with like a second left on the clock. Now, what... I guess the official word is, is there was an inadvertent whistle with like 3.8 seconds to go um, that the clock operator stopped the clock and then realized the game was still going, started up again. So what what happened, what ended up happening was the refs went and looked and saw th- they timed it out and realized that the clock would have expired. And so they just called the they just called regulation over, which is just wrong. I mean that yeah, in the rule book it, it clearly states inadvertent whistle. It's just the ball out of bounds with that time back on the clock. So Northwestern should have had an inbound play from from the side uh, with like three point eight seconds to go. If there's three point eight seconds to go and you know that you change the way you're going to operate. Like Hartman could see the clock, saw she had like a second to go so you know she's able to make the moves necessary to you know to score as time is running out but what should have happened is an inbounds play and you know yet another instance where Northwestern is getting jobbed here it was it was so ridiculous and and first of all the notion that in the moment they stopped and they timed it we timed it we hand timed it it's within 0.1 to 0.2 seconds. It's probable that Hartman still had the ball in her hands, getting the shot off with 0.1 to point, like went like she was 0.1 to 0.2 seconds slow. Keep in mind, Brown and Hartman go coast to coast in almost within a like a tenth of a second of the exact amount of time they have to work with without being able to look at the clock. Which is, first of all, is just incredible to me. And yet the officials are just like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're just, we can tell that she wouldn't have made it. And right, it was all so ridiculous, so ridiculous. And then you fold in the fact that I don't know if it would have been an end, in, in, an end line pass or a side out. I mean, side out would have been more appropriate considering where they were when the clock went off. But let's give some credit to a team that's able to push the ball up that with that much precision without being able to look at the clock and say that they probably would have gotten a pretty good look for the win. Um, and, yeah, so it, it just sucked. It sucked that that was a deciding thing in this game, you know? Um, well, well, and for that to happen on the heels of the horrible call against Adige at the end of the Wisconsin game, just 
some of the nonsense that happened toward the end of the Michigan State game before Northwestern ultimately, ultimately held on the men's team. Um, I think I, th- I want to say there was like a clo- a weirdness with the clock as well in that Wisconsin game at home. And it's kind of like, like, hey, like, hey, hey, guys, can we like let's get some home court advantage with the clock? Um, just, you know, if we can if we can make sure the errors are generally in our favor, that'd be that'd be great. But then or, or um, at least make it neutral. Right. We yeah, shouldn't be yeah. fighting our own clock. But then right. but then that like this situation of of the refs kind of playing playing the assumption card with Northwestern and like assuming Adij was going for the foul um hand, hand timing the end of this game being like ah eh, they didn't make it let's go to OT and it just it just it just always I I don't know how true this is but it always feels like Northwestern's on the short end of these sticks and in the case of the women's team too I mean we've talked so much about this is a really talented really young team right that Burton is trying to will to to wins while the team kind of gels and figures it out. And while these talented young players figure out how to put it together and everything. And you just see it's a team with so much potential and you see a game like this and you see everything they're capable of. And then to have it go against them, it just blows. It's like this team, like you said off the top is on that losing streak and it's just not deserved. Like, have they had short moments? Sure. But this was just a phenomenal performance against, you know, probably your national player of the year. And, um, you know, they, they deserve to win. So, uh, playing Purdue, um, tomorrow night as we record on the third. So they're playing, um, at Purdue on the fourth, uh, Purdue right now, four and six in conference, um, we're three and five in conference. So, uh, should be a, a, a tight game, but you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Well, what worth knowing, like, uh, two days after that Purdue game, they're at Penn state another team that's not particularly good that they should be able to beat. And then they go um, to Minnesota in a makeup game from, I think I, I want to say it was heck. I don't remember what it was, um, but there, you know, they had a game canceled against Minnesota because of COVID earlier in January. That has been rescheduled for Friday, the 11th of February. Um, so they're going to have these three road games in a row Um before before finally coming back home on the 13th for for a huge game against Michigan um but three winnable games and uh, you know if they can if they can bottle I somebody has said this on Twitter a couple times I forget who it is but if they can bottle the way they play against Iowa and bring right. that level of intensity to some of these other games um because the the you know they got smoked by Maryland in a night where they just didn't shoot well they lost to Penn State at home and just a really tough tough situation where um they you know missed some free throws down the stretch and things didn't go their way um but like if they if they could just bottle that Iowa that Iowa intensity and and bring that to bear they they should be able to win uh two or three of these next these next three games and then that sets up kind of like a massive homestand um you know as as you get to mid February so yeah, I mean, definitely opportunities there. Um, you know, we'll we'll see how that progresses. Um, finally, before we get out of here, uh, it th- this is this is a rough one. You know, featuring a couple of Northwestern alums. Um, you know, we're, we're all hockey fans. Like, at least Eric and I are, are diehard you, hockey fans. You guys are. I'm not anti hockey. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not against hockey. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so I, I don't I don't want to you know go deep into like the awfulness that's been surrounding the Chicago Blackhawks this season. Um, you know, there that's been all over. If you haven't seen it, it wouldn't be hard to to look it up. But last night, um, the Blackhawks were having a town hall meeting uh, where you know pre-screened questions were you know being placed to Rocky Words, Danny Words. And uh, the, the leadership of the of the Blackhawks, um, and you know we there there you know the media was there. It was the first actually the first time that the media had a chance to talk to uh, the Wurtzes since the uh, the Jenner report outlying you know all of the the wrongdoings they did you know around the the Kyle Beach situation back in 2010. Um, you know they they hadn't faced the press at all, so. You know, Northwestern's Mark Lazarus uh, was asking a pretty much a pretty layup question, not about what happened, but he was asking about what what the Blackhawks are doing to change things in the future, like what just to, just to ensure that players are safe. Yeah, and Rocky Wirtz, also Northwestern alum, went off and just basically said, "That's none of your business." You know, if you're in the organization, we we could talk about it, but you're not, so we're not talking about it. Next question. I would so I would sum this up as someone who, again, like I've I've followed this not with the same level as you guys are because you guys are big Blackhawks people, and and like I I've I've kind of followed the controversy, but I know how Twitter works, and it's inevitable that in any Twitter controversy you will get a ton of people on both sides. Not on this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, uh, was, it was, it was despicable. And it was, I mean, it, th- this was a town hall meeting precisely to embrace the air of transparency that the Blackhawks promised in October on the heels of the details and the fallout from the way Kyle Beach was was assaulted when he was a member of the team and the way the team ignored it. I mean they they fired everybody. Joe Quimble got fired from the from the Florida Panthers because of his role in this. Um Stan Bowman who who has like the most untouchable name in in professional hockey save Gretzky got fired because of his I mean I guess he resigned, right? But like they cleaned he, house he was because shown of the this. Door. Yeah. Yeah, they they cleaned house because of this and they said we will do better, we will be more transparent. And the first opportunity in front of the media they roll out this bullshit. Yeah, it was And what's ridiculous is in in like Danny Wirtz is say, sitting there saying I I want to answer this and Rocky who is kind of he's the owner, he's the dad, he's the father figure basically pulling out you know from the shadow of his father um Bill Wirt, Bill Wirtz, who you know any Chicago Blackhawk fan knows the name of and reviles but basically you know kind of ruling this town hall meeting with an iron fist like you will not talk about this Danny Wirtz. I am making the rules here and that and like that is exactly the kind of culture that hockey is trying to move away from like it's it's crazy they're trying it's to crazy. move to it's like, like yeah. They're trying to embrace more openness. They're trying to like that. That was the point of this town hall meeting is to be open to, you know, have the leadership in front of the public, in front of the media, telling them about the initiatives, telling them about the search for the new general manager. There's a lot to talk about. 
and for Rocky Words to just shut it all down and just put up this veil of opaqueness when everyone in, and the Blackhawks as well were saying this is about transparency, just absolutely hypocritical, and that's just putting it mildly. I mean, I w- think w- Wayne Gretzky, yeah, made, made the comment like. I'm watching this and I'm thinking about my 18 year old son and maybe he's going to be drafted by this team. I want that question answered. Yeah. And it, if, it, if it, you've it, lost, it, if you've lost Wayne Gretzky, you know, you're doing something yeah. wrong. <laughs> well, yes. it's, it's a mess too. I mean, and strictly from a business standpoint too. I mean, it's obvious. And again, I'm parachuting in on this as like, you know, I'm not a huge hockey guy, but the, the I mean, it's obviously going to damage the bottom line. I mean, it's just, you know. Attendance, is, attendance has already been down this season. I mean, they had right. like a 500-plus game sellout streak that ended this year. I mean, yes, COVID is still very much in play. But, uh, you know, the, the, play on, the play on the field, on the field, on the ice, and, you know, the, the animosity that's been building because of what the Blackhawks did back in 2010 and fans trying to kind of wrap their heads around how do you reconcile this team back in 2010 who won the Stanley Cup, won two more cups in the next five years, and, you know, the entire city, like, loves, or loved at least, but, like, now we're trying to wrap your head around, okay, what costs, well, and what well, costs is of- winning? Well, and, and none of that happened, though, Sam, because we're not looking backwards. We're only looking <laughs> forward. So that's all. That's all log in the past. No, it's all, you know, it's all, it's, it's ridiculous. I, I will say to the specific, you know, relative to this pod and what we cover, <clears throat> the Northwestern piece of it, I'm really glad that you brought up Mark Lazarus at the beginning of this. Um, because I think there are certainly a lot of people right out in Northwestern Nation being like, oh God, Rocky Wirtz, you know, this is someone who like, you know, we there are a lot of people, us included, I think, excited to have that tie with the Blackhawks, right? And be like, it's great that there's a Northwestern guy at the top of the ship there. I mean, we we basically been asking him to you know fund a Northwestern hockey program, right? And and I mean, that's the thing. I mean, t- t- tongue in cheek, tongue in cheek, <laughs> most right, tongue mostly. Right. I just don't want anyone to misinterpret that that comment. Right. Sure, sure, no, sure. So, um. And I think a lot of people being like, oh, and now I have to like come to grips with that. And it's like, hey, this was, you know, this was a fine hour for Northwestern. If you look at the other part of this, specifically in terms of Lazarus, Lazarus, Lazarus standing in there asking the question, right, not going away on the issue. Right. Um, And that's that's Northwestern. Um, That's the kind of journalism that Northwestern is known for. And, you know, it's the kind of thing where we think back to the awfulness of last spring. Right. And so many of us feeling like Northwestern got a black eye and it's like, yeah, but if you want to look a lot of Northwestern people really distinguish themselves at that point in time also. Right. And this in, in a way it's a similar situation, right? I mean, you've got, this was, and, and I think, again, I'm really glad you, you brought it up, Sam, because I think, whereas a lot of people probably know that, that um, Rocky Wirtz is a Northwestern alum. A lot of people probably don't know that Mark Lazarus is and, you know, not only is he, but, He's carrying that banner. I don't know if he was a Medill guy, but he was, he's carrying. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, he's carrying the banner that you know, the exact kind of banner that Medill is is known for. So there is that piece of it too. So if you're if you're a Northwestern person and you know, hanging your head over this, just know the guy on the other side was a Northwestern guy too. I yeah, I'm 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 just 
furious about this whole situation. And like, you know, I, you know, the Blackhawks were on TNT last night, national TV last night. And Scuzz, you were saying like, this was one of the first opportunities you've had to see the Blackhawks. They're, they're rarely the on. Yeah. They're rarely on in Cincinnati. Cause you know, it's a, it's Columbus market here. Um, and unless they're going to be on the, the, you know, the, the prime weekend NBC game or, um, or, you know, a weeknight TNT game like they were last night, you know, I don't, I don't get that much opportunity to see them when I, when it, when I see that they're on, I'm going, oh, yeah, I'll check this out. I, I, I turned it off last night. I was like, I'm not, I, I can't, I can't do that. And, and, you know, I don't, I was trying to think of a way to like cleverly tweet that last night. It just felt very self-serving. I don't say this to like, you know, trumpet myself as some, you know, um, beacon of whatever just it, the point is like you mentioned the bottom line like yeah this is gonna hurt the blackhawks in the eyes of fans and i think what's what's interesting is I, I just feel like you see this over and over and over again of of team or executive or coach or player or somebody screws up and instead of like being open and transparent and and accepting blame and taking open steps to try and address it and fix it, like em- embracing the problem, right? There's this first, there's always the cover up, which as Bino cook always used to say, it's not the crime. It's the cover up that gets you in trouble. The and d- then, denial, denial, denial. Yeah. And then there's this, this um, push uh, like this, this pushing it away. Well, we're not here. I'm not, I'm not here to talk about the past um, kind of nonsense that um, just doesn't do anybody any favors. It doesn't, I don't know. It's just, it's such a myopic, short sighted, stupid then way the, to deal with stuff. And then a statement coming out the next day. No, it's, it, it's very it was, much. It was like in the middle, it was in the second intermission of a game the Blackhawks were losing 3 nothing and ended up losing 5 nothing. Like, right. Got, kind of just and, gets tweeted out, like, oh, I'm, I crossed the line. Sorry. And it's just, but, but to Scuzz's point, it's like, this, it feels like we've all been around this merry go round before. Over right? and, and over and like, over again. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Hey, one one thing we should mention, it wasn't just Laz. Um, after he asked his question and got berated, um, Philip Thompson, who's um, a, 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 a trib writer, uh, covers the Blackhawks, um, followed up uh, on the question and um, was similarly blasted by Wirtz. So um want to make sure, like, A, you know, <laughs> reporters following up on other reporters' questions is the right way to hold um, – people that are in those press conferences or those media situations um, for a reason uh, accountable and um, didn't want uh, his name to not be part of, of this conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. That brotherhood aspect of it too, where the two guys, you know, the two journalists were supporting each other afterwards and right. Helping each other in the moment. Yeah. You're totally right. Well, I mean, I didn't want to end this pod on that kind of a, Mike Kafka. Yeah, Mike Kafka. that's right. Mike Kafka. <laughs> We got the Super Bowl coming up in about a week and a half. Um, definitely looking forward to that. That's always good times. You know, last football game of the year up until the end of August, where you know Northwestern's playing Nebraska in Dublin. No love, no love for the USFL, Sammy. Maybe we should all become really big USFL fans to Maybe. just like delay the. Yeah, the it's um, funny. I don't. It's funny. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Uh, but Northwestern's going to have a bunch of guys in that USFL conversation for sure. I'd be very <laughs> curious to know, right? Like what's a Kyle Cairo doing right now, right? Like, is he, 
you know, the guys like that, are they gearing up for that kind of season? Because that's going to, you know, potentially be a big time for those guys. Yeah, I mean, there, there's been Northwestern guys playing in every attempt at spring football the past several years. Um, so I, I can't see any reason why this would be any different. So Some quite well, too. So Yeah, be, absolutely. Yeah, hope, hopefully we'll get to see some. Yeah, I, Hunter Nicelander, you know, got the job for, with the Cowboys based on, you know, his work in, in spring football. So. And that's just one example I can think of off the top of my head. I, I know there's others. We would be remiss as we're kind of like um, tapping some of these keys on football here to not mention uh, Rashawn Slater playing in the Pro Bowl this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. As a rookie, uh, just an incredible rookie season. Um, maybe the best left tackle rookie season that the NFL has seen in a long time. And then um, should, should be in the conversation for offensive rookie in the year. Yeah, I mean, yeah. probably I mean, cr- won't, right? Credit for credit to Chase for coming and actually winning it down the stretch, but yeah. there's no question who it was for the first half of the year. It was Rashawn Slater. Yeah, um, and then Greg Newsom, uh, you know, not Pro Bowl, but picked up a lot of accolades as, uh, as, as a first as a first team All Rookie. Yep, um, and just you know had a great season as well with Cleveland. I think has you know uh, ability to build on on what he's already done as he gets. Um, more familiar and, and, and more comfortable in NFL schemes and stuff. So just, you know, we were so excited for both those guys last spring with our, you know, our mega draft pod with the, with the winning cures boys and, and everything we've been, you know, we've been celebrating throughout the year, but that was just a real, a real high mark for Northwestern that both of those first round draft picks um, just brought it like all hell this season. Oh yeah. It's fantastic. Um, and yeah, it's, and like, like yeah, pro cats. And the name I was the name I was I was thinking Kyle Cairo, who was one of them, but Jordan Thompson was the other, right? Jordan Thompson was kind of dominant last last year in in uh, what was that? What was the name of that league? Was it the XFL? Is that what it was? The XFL. I think it was or, the X- or was it the AAF? Yeah, yeah the it AAF. Was, yeah, it was that Seattle team, and then it all kind of you know blew up. But he was dom, you know, he was dominating, and he was already kind of a fringe. Uh, 49ers roster guy so those kind of guys are are just waiting for that opportunity and and I hope that a couple of them get it this spring well I think that is a great place to end it on this week um you know head to our website westlawpirates.com where you can leave comments and questions find us on Facebook Twitter and Instagram at Westlaw Pirates keep your eyes open for uh, more information on our meetup at senior night for Northwestern women's basketball against Purdue Um, last chance to see Veronica Burton at home. So uh, come on out, uh, watch the game with us. Uh, Westlaw Pirates party at Welsh Ryan. Um, Email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John LeCombe and Eric Scasboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.